0: Last week, we were in Hebrews chapter 5, and we shared verses beginning in verse 12 with our young people, and we're going to carry it right on through from there this morning. We're picking it up. I want to review where we were just briefly. Hebrews chapter Five. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. One of the things we try to encourage our young people who received their Bibles last week was just this very concept that receiving a Bible does not mean you're at the end of instruction. You're at the beginning. That you're now just laying a foundation that you want to move deeper into and that the only way that happens is by exercise, by getting into, the, into God's gym, if you will, and opening the Word and being in it and making it a part of our lives. And that it's God's desire... That all of us learn, come to a point where we can discern good and evil. That's God's intention. <laughs> but it's our decision. And that's the end of chapter 5, which is going to lead into chapter 6. Uh, I asked Mike to share immediately before our message rather than just during our announcements because he mentioned this team that we, with which we went out on, and we went to this resort and uh, uh, sought to share Christ with people out there. And this guy who led our team, he's just a real character. No, no two ways around, he's just a character. Some of us probably would have been a little even uncomfortable to, just to have him with us because he was so just open and out there with what was going on. He has been clean for 20 years from drugs and alcohol. And he is, he is an advocate for Alcoholics Anonymous. It worked for him, and God is using him in that context and so he's an advocate for that. So I asked him, his name is Nels. So I said, so Nels, tell me something. You work with Alcoholics Anonymous. So what is one or two things that you would say, uh, are, uh, just some, some thoughts that a guy like in my position, and when I run across people who, who are dealing with addictions, what are one or two things you would say that I need to know immediately that you've learned from Alcoholics Anonymous? He only gave me one. He said, it's either the second or the third step. But it's this, if they do not want to change, don't bother trying to work with them. Love them, except they're not at a place. No matter what you do, is not going to matter. If they're not at a place to want to get clean, it will not matter however much work you put into them. They've got to be at that place. They said, you've got to love them, got to love them. But don't invest a whole lot of time in them. Because nothing will happen. Now I say that because I believe to a degree that's exactly as we now roll into chapter 6. After this exhortation about, about becoming more mature so that we can discern good and evil. As we roll into chapter 6, the writer to Hebrews actually takes a perspective similar to that. Picking it up in chapter 6, going on from verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. For the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. With the exhortation that we need to be able to feed on the meat of the word of God to become those who can discern good and evil. The writer to the Hebrews begins chapter 6 with therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. He effectively now goes on to indicate for us a going deep. I'm going to refer now to going deep. That going deep is a great decision going deep, going further in the things of the Lord, understanding more. That is a great decision. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. It begins in verse 1 and and finishes this particular segment with, and this we will do if God permits. So he lays out for us that we are going to go further. And he also makes it clear that there are these things that are important, foundations. But we don't stop with the foundation. The building season is coming soon, and for the contractors in our midst, they don't go out there and just build foundations for the sake of having foundations. They build foundations so that something further can go on on top of that foundation, And the writer says here, these these are the foundational truths. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. We we can't stay here and just keep reworking these things and reworking these things and reworking these things like there's nothing more. There is more that we need to understand. There's more that we need to get into our lives. There's more that needs to be active inside of us than just these understandings. They are important. They are foundations from which we move on. He says, and this we will do. Going deep is a great decision, Because he says, we want to go forward, God permitting, we're going to go forward, we're going to go deeper. But then he cautions us that going deep is a personal decision. Going deep is a personal decision, because notice what he then says. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. The little things we need to connect together there, it's impossible for those who were once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift if they fall away to renew them again. He lays out these conditions about what it is he is speaking. And all the conditions in verse 4, right up through the first one in verse 6, these are all done in such a way that they are what is the experience of the people he's talking about. It is, has been their experience. Impossible are those who are, they were enlightened. They received truth from the word of God. Somehow it came to them. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They have experienced God's work somehow. They've seen that happen. They've shared in things of the Holy Spirit. They've seen the Holy Spirit move. They've seen God do changes and and watched things happen. They've tasted the good word of God. And they have heard it and been spoken to from it. The powers of the age to come have been made known to them. They've observed these things. They again have experienced it. And yet they fall away or they forsake or they turn from this. All of these conditions that are laid out, and I don't, I, honestly, I don't think the writer to the Hebrews would say, but that's the, that's the full extent of the list. I think the point of this list is to say, look, you come across, you got somebody in your midst, there's somebody here, and all of these things, all the evidence that is ever necessary as to what God is doing, how he is at work in Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is, how Jesus Christ is being revealed to him, the greatness of his being. Remember, if you were with us from the beginning, oh, Jesus Christ is the most incredible of all the prophets. Jesus Christ is higher than the angels. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. All of these things that identify who Jesus Christ is, is they've experienced them all. They've experienced the dynamic working of God. They've seen it as they've been in the midst of God's people. It's all there on display for them. It's a part of their history. And yet, they've turned away from it and said, no thanks. Don't want it. Don't believe it. Not buying it. It's a ruse. Christians are hypocrites, so I don't want any part of it. You guys are all just nuts. Not intellectual enough for me. Whatever their excuse, they've turned away from it, having been exposed to everything and certainly adequate enough to bring conviction into their lives about their need. And they turn from it. What I'm trying to lay out is that this has been their experience If they fall away, and in this context I'm looking at tenses, it is having all of that happened with the following, to renew them again in repentance. This is what is impossible. To renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him in an open shame. Here's what I believe is important that we understand. And it doesn't show up. Much of this book is not showing up on the surface in our English translation. And so I, I, I want to be careful of this, but I need to say it. There's a tense change in how things are happening here. All of these things they have experienced, and they forsake it. Now, that being the conditions, here's what's impossible for any of us to talk them into. A, new, a renewed position, a new thought. They've made their decision. They've looked at it all. Everything is there necessary to make a decision, and they said, nope, not interested. Not going to talk them into it. All the arguing in the world that we can come to, not going to talk them into it. In fact, it's impossible for us to be renewing. That's the, it, it's a present Tense thing. It is impossible for us to be renewing them because at the very time we're trying to renew them in their thinking and get them to come on board and say, look, don't you see how incredible Jesus Christ is? At the very time we are looking to get them to come to that place and that understanding, he says, they are in that very moment. They are crucifying Christ again and holding him up to public shame. Now we have to understand the... the 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 thought that is there, do we not? The writer to the Hebrews is not saying they've gone, dragged Jesus Christ out of heaven from sitting at the right hand of the Father, brought him back down to earth, put him on a cross, and parades him through town and say, look everybody, this guy, uh, he's not who he claimed to be. That's not what he's saying. Because obviously that isn't happening. How is it that they crucify again? They crucify again by simply saying, effectively, not buying it, don't believe it, he got what was coming to him. He isn't the Messiah. He isn't as great as you claim he would be. He's not a great high priest. He's not above the angels. He's not an exceptional prophet. He's none of those things. In fact, given the opportunity, if I could be with the crowd who yelled, crucify him, crucify him, I'd yell it with them. And when he hung on the cross and they made fun of him, I'd make fun of him too. Because that's where I'm at. I'm not buying it. And this is ongoing where they are at. This is what they've decided to do. And the writer to Hebrews says, when somebody's in that place, don't keep circling round and round and round thinking you're going to convince them otherwise. That's impossible. They're not at a place to receive it. Just like Nels told me about the person who needs to get clean but doesn't want to they're not at a place to receive whatever you have for them and you will have no inroads with them the writer to the book of Hebrews is saying they won't receive it you cannot convince them of it they don't want it and then this is one of those things where he then uh, the, the writer then goes on and he, he throws something that at the first glance you kind of go well, what are we talking about that for? Where did that come into the picture? So you've got to slow down. You've got to give it some thought. So what is he getting at? Having said that, that's impossible to renew them when they are in this place of actively crucifying again Christ and actively making a mockery of him. He says in verse 7, For the earth which drinks in the rain often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But, but if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. He goes on to this illustration, this discussion about crops, vegetation. Out of the blue, he turns to that. But he makes a point in that. The point that he makes is the rain comes down, waters all the ground. It does it repeatedly. It gives everything a good watering and stuff springs up. In, in this particular area of ground, which has been worked, crop comes up. Herbs come up. It's good for the use of those who've tilled the ground. But over here, for whatever reason, what comes up are thistles and briars. And it's not a crop that the, that the farmer, the gardener, can harvest and use. They both received the same rain. What's the distinction between them? It's what was in the ground. It's the condition of the ground itself. So he says the ground gets cursed. In this case over here, the ground gets blessed because it's what's in the ground. Now you guys understand, he didn't all of a sudden just to go on to, start to give us a, you know... Uh, a, a botany class, a little ag hey, economics here. He didn't all of a sudden decide to jump into, hey, all you farmers, I figured now we're doing a lot of this stuff about how great Jesus is. You'd like to hear a farming a little illustration, right? So I'll throw one in. Then we'll get back to what we were talking No. His point is about people. It's not about what's in the earth. That's just illustrative. It's about what's in men's hearts. And in this illustration, the rain that comes is the truth. It's the Word of God. That very Word of God which we heard earlier was alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God with which we should be exercised and in which we should be training so that we can become mature. This truth of God's Word, it pours down upon men's hearts. And within this context of this group he's saying it is bearing herbs and good things in some people's hearts it's good and they're ready to move on for more but in some hearts it's not bearing that it's bearing thistles and thorns and briars and these people are ready to they'd re-crucify christ again given the opportunity even though they've received all this truth in all this word and when they've done that, once it's borne the fruit, you, don't, you can't change it. You can't change it. It doesn't all of a sudden become something else. So the same word, the same truth, can produce two different results depending on what's in a man's heart. A couple weeks ago, as we dug into a certain portion of chapter 5, I said, uh, full disclosure, I said, no, actually, I'm going to give you a half disclosure, was you came to chapter 5, because when we came to chapter 5, there was one thing that concerned me. In chapter 5, I realized I was coming upon a passage that in my, in my former church background I had heard preached on, and I knew that God was saying something wrong, even though I didn't know what it was. And I just knew, and I have to believe there's the Spirit of God saying to me, there's something not adding up here. But then, lo, these many years later, and I'm older, and I'm older than that guy that was preaching that message then, is, you know, I'm not older than him now. You get what I'm saying, right? And my concern was pride that I could stand before you and proudly declare because of what I understand now. That was my concern. That was half disclosure because there's something further in the book. And now my, my concern is not pride it's just outright fear. I told one pastor friend that uh, I just sensed, and this all comes out of, by the way, this whole series we're doing, thank you, it comes out of having been on sabbatical. It all goes back to sabbatical and time spent in the Word on sabbatical and just having this conviction that God is saying it's time to move into the book of Hebrews. And quite honestly, I wouldn't have touched it early on in ministry, very honestly. And here's why. Fear. Fear. Told this pastor friend that it looked like, you know, I believe God wanted us to dig in. He was like, oh, you're going there? You know why? Here's why. As we get to this passage where we're at right now, one, it can be difficult to understand. Just hard to understand. And two, people have very different ideas on what it says. I know he's getting that. People aren't always real gracious if you reach a conclusion different than theirs. So it's like, you know, you're kind of treading out onto some thin ice there. Well, you just talked to Dave Snell. Got to have faith, okay? Doesn't matter how thin the ice is, you got to have faith. You go out on that ice, all right? So out here on faith that I'm supposed to be preaching on this, but aware that, not aware, I would guess that within this congregation, okay, we have a number of people who are a number of people who are Who are Bible-knowledgeable. Some are going to go, amen, brother. And others are going to go, you said that? So, with fear and trembling, on a day when my emotions are already been at the surface, oh, this should be fun. You see, this passage raises some questions. And there's a lot that we could raise, but I'm only going to deal with two. And that is, these people who received all this light and yet have said no thank you, from whom you need to move on because you can't just get there, trying, stay there trying to convince them to believe what, what is truth because they're not at a place where they can receive it. These people, first question that gets raised is, were these people ever saved? Of which the passage speaks. Had they ever been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God and experienced new life in Christ? That's one question. People have opinions on that. They can fall to both sides on that. And then the second question is, whether saved or not, once fallen away, they received this light, said no thanks, they're, they are presently crucifying again Christ and putting him to open shame. Once having fallen away, can they be saved? Or is where they're at at that point, does that, has that already defined their entire Eternity. And those of you who are super Bible knowledgeable, you're wondering, what is he going to say now? Those of you who aren't, you're wondering, what has he been saying all along? (laughs) I get it. Were the people ever saved to which the passage speaks... Today's Sunday, right? Okay, Sunday. Yeah, I'll I'll go with this direction because tomorrow you might find me going another direction. Here's why. One, the language. The language, the words can be interpreted in either direction, and that's why we wind up with some confusion. You can legitimately make an argument to say, they were never saved, they were saved. You can make that argument based upon the words, just the language involved. The argument, do you know what I mean by that? The argument that the writer is putting forward, the thoughtful discussion where he lays out one thought after another, after another. The argument takes me, and I'm just, just people understand this, as I've been before the Lord on this and for months, literally knowing, coming to this, months studying this book, here's where I'm at. I'm not saying I have all truth on it, right? You with me? But here's where I'm at. The argument takes me in one direction. We've been looking at these cautionary statements as we've moved through chapter by chapter uh, through these these chapters, particularly in in chapters 3 and 4. Remember the yellow cord that went through our threefold cord? And those cautionary statements are saying, make sure you are in Do you know for sure you're in? Have you entered into that rest? This is something you have to get straight. Are you in that place of rest? Have you followed it through with your understanding this truth that is here that points you to Jesus Christ? Have you followed it through to the place where your faith is in him and you are, by remaining there, going to, to be in a place of safety? So that's number one seems to indicate to me that he's leaving open the idea they've not gotten there yet. Number two, and there's way more we could say. The clock will always dictate for us, unfortunately. And by the way, if some of you want to discuss this politely, kindly, thoughtfully with me, I'll be glad to sit down with you. Okay? I will be glad to do that. And uh, I just don't want to have an argument. I don't want to be accused of being a heretic and blasphemous. Is that okay? And I won't accuse you of the same thing. The illustration in verses 7 and 8 indicates that there's an either-or thing that is happening. When that light comes upon everybody that is receiving it, some receive that light, that truth, that rain in the illustration, and it produces either a crop or thistles. Herbs or briars? It produces something good or something not. My point is this the one does not and cannot change into the other. It produces one or the other. If it produces herbs, it produces herbs. If it produces thistles, it produces thistles. And once you got what you got, that's what you have. So you can't first be a crop and then change to thistles. You farmers understand that. You grow your grain. You put it in your bins. Your wife says she wants a new fur coat, so you go sell your grain. Take it out of your bins. Okay, put it in your truck. You know what you put in there. You get to the, uh, you get to the elevator. You want to sell it. And they empty it out and tell you it was all thistles. Why'd you bring this? You'd say, what? That isn't the case. I know I brought grain. And you'd know something's wrong. I brought grain. I gave you grain. Don't tell me that it was all thistles because it doesn't change. I think that's significant in the illustration. That whatever, whatever happens is what you have. Some of you are... Who are theologically astute are way ahead of me as to where you're going. So that's one thing. I personally believe today, before you come and have your discussion with me, that this is the way this is. The argument has gone is he's addressing these people who, for the most part, are believers, but he's also saying within there, saying some of you have not secured this yet properly. You have not. And there are those who, though they're part of this group, and they may like to attend church, and they may like to sing the songs, and they may like to hear how much fun it is and what God is doing, they have never come to this place of faith in Jesus Christ. Which then leaves us to a second question. Whether saved or not, once fallen away, can they be saved? Because the statement says in verse 4, for it is impossible, and ends in verse 6, to renew them again to repentance. It's impossible. Now, I would clearly understand that to say that as we've already touched on, you and I aren't going to be arguing somebody who's in this place of actively rejecting Jesus Christ, having received all of this light that reveals who Jesus Christ is, and they have already said, no thank you, they are aggressively looking to distance themselves from this no amount of regurgitating the same things is going to help and as nels nelson said about people who need to get clean if they don't want to get clean you are not going to be able to convince them so don't try go work with somebody who wants to get clean And so friends, we must move on to deeper things ourselves, which is why that second point is going deeper is a going deep is a personal decision. Are we really going to move on? That's something that each of us is going to answer right here in our own hearts. Whether or not we're going to say, I wanna I wanna take this thing further. So that's one thing, as we're trying to answer this question once fallen away, can they be saved? The second point that I would make is simply this. It doesn't mean they are necessarily eternally lost, though they are in this place of presently rejecting Christ. Follow me now. It doesn't mean they are necessarily eternally lost, that where they're at right now defines their entire eternity. Why do I say that? Well, if you go to Matthew 19, Mark 10, Luke 18, you guys have all heard it. When the disciples are absolutely confused, they ask about how people get saved and who is open as a candidate to be saved, to be in a place where God brings them into glory. They are safe in the redemptive work that God is doing. And Jesus said something. All three gospels, uh, three of, of those gospels, uh, account for it. With man, this is impossible. Same word as it, it's not possible. To argue people, and with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Notice what I'm saying. Then you and I, we can argue with somebody to they're blue in the face. If they are act, they've received the light. They have actively and are actively rejecting light, saying, "I don't want anything to do with it. I want to go a different way. I think Jesus Christ was a fraud." Okay, they've gotten all of that truth and we've been through it with them time and again, you and I are not going to change their minds. You and I are not going to come up with that clever little argument that says, oh, you need to believe in Jesus. And they go, I get it now! Not happening, because they're not ready to receive it. That's impossible, the text says. But God is able to invade their lives. God is able. And this question, go look at it in the Gospels, on your own, the whole question was, who can be saved? All right? How how then, you know, if these aren't good candidates, how can anybody else be a candidate? And Jesus says... Not possible with men, but with God, all things are possible. And God is able to do a renewing work. And the work, of course, that we are talking about is a regenerative work of the Holy Spirit of God. He's able to do that. But we need to move on, not thinking we can do it. You with me? I know I've repeated it a lot, but it's really dense in here in terms of content. Okay, third thing. doesn't mean they are necessarily eternally lost when they're in this position, but they could be lost one day because they are presently in a dangerous position. They presently are in a dangerous position. In describing that which brings forth thorns and briars, but if it bears thorns and briars, it's rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. They're playing with fire to be in that place. I haven't said God can't save them. I'm saying very much God could save them, but I'm also saying that they're in a very dangerous place. And that's why, as we looked at the earlier chapters, that's why the writer is so adamant to be saying repeatedly in chapters 1 through 5, get this right! Because eternity hangs on the balance on what we do with Jesus Christ. And if I am actively rejecting the revelation that God is bringing... This is a frightening thought to me because I totally, I absolutely, completely believe, absolutely, completely believe people, people can turn to Christ on their deathbed and they will be saved. I watched it happen. God led me to a man who for over 80 years rejected the truth of Jesus Christ and he was given this light so that by the time I got to him, I didn't have to share the gospel I said openly, you have heard this your whole life, right? And he said, yep. Then you understand your need? And he said, yes. I said, have you ever responded to this personally? And he said, no. He never got off of that hospital bed. But when he left this world, he went to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. He knew he had been rejecting. And that was the day when God impressed upon me you got to go to Fargo. So I absolutely believe that somebody can be saved on their deathbed. But also, friends, when we realize that the Scripture says that uh, about these thorns and briars that they're to be rejected, they're near to being cursed, there's one thing I would caution all of us against presuming. To presume To presume that God's Spirit and God's revelation and God's calling will sustain until that very moment before our death, so we can just slip in at the end. That's presumptive. And so, if God is calling us today, we need to be hearing that call. Because there is no, I don't, I don't know of any guarantee that God says, I'll call you right up until the time when physically you leave this earth. Why would we presume that he owes us that when all of this light has been revealed to us and all of the magnificence of who Jesus Christ is and the wonder of the Holy Spirit which ministers to us here as we see one, re- one work of redemption in one life after another after another this morning. Do you understand? That's what we were seeing here. We were seeing people redeemed, praising God for his work in their lives. And we watch it and we experience it. and we joy. Why do we think that somehow he owes that until we're 103? And we say, okay, I guess now I'll make the decision. And I believe that's why the writer of the Hebrews is saying, this is serious stuff, people. This is serious stuff that we're talking about. So that leaves us with two questions with which we wrap up. Number one, do I know for sure I'm clinging to Jesus Christ as my only hope? For six chapters, he's been telling us to move in. Move in. Make sure you're holding Christ. Make sure you're clinging to nothing else. For six chapters, he's been saying, Christ in all of his magnificence is all that we have. Are we holding him? Are we claiming him? Is our faith in him? Because if we stay in this place, and God's calling of his spirit decides that he's done with us. We won't have the wisdom just before we die because we need God's regenerating spirit to be at work in all of this. That's number one, second one. And this is what chapter six is even more about. Am I ready to go deeper? Do I want to learn what it means to discern good and evil? Do I want this word to begin to transform my life? I just want to stay in the shallow end here and we'll just keep repeating everything over and over and over. I feel real good that I had affirmed to me once again that, yeah, Jesus Christ is great, and I believe that, and everything is good. It's like, dude, there's so much more that we need to be moving into. Three things well, I want to encourage you, want to go deep, and I'll, I'll try and make them quick. Number one, because that's where the fun, the overall, when I said that, that's where the fun is, okay? All right? It's great when you take your kids to the, to the pool and they have a little waiting pool and your little one-year-old's in the waiting pool. You don't want to sit in the waiting pool all day, right? You don't spend the rest of your life in the waiting pool. You don't see adults splashing around in the waiting pool. You go, hey, man, they're out. They're jumping off the high dive, right? They're in the deep end. Because that's where the fun is, first of all. The fun is not in staying in the shallow end. Yesterday at the, at the conference, Mike mentioned we went out It's one team that came back. They described this very interesting story of how God led them to a guy, came to Christ. His name was Dallas Littlewind. Guy came to faith yesterday morning. Okay? A lot to the story, I won't tell you. He came to faith yesterday morning. After they told this story, one of the guys who was on that team said, this morning when I woke up, God impressed into my mind... Catch the wind. Ask God, what, what do you want from me today? What should and it was catch the wind. And he was part of a team that led Dallas Littlewind to Christ that day. That's where the fun is, friends. Okay? The fun is in going deeper and beginning to experience the things that God wants to do. That's number one reason to go deeper. Number two reason to go deeper is that's where the transformation is. It is as we go deeper that God then begins to really address the issues in our lives that are not Christ-like, that are part of the old man, and that he wants to form Christ in us. And in that process, number three, going deeper is where the healing is. It's in going deeper that we deal with the bitterness, the anger, the hatred, the resentment, the sadness, the depression, and all of these things that afflict our lives they don't get healed in the shallow end of the pool when we just keep laying the same foundation we've always laid. My dear friends, we went deeper today. And I know that. But I trust that in our thoughts on this, God has spoken to us about our need of always moving further in with Jesus Christ. Always letting him to letting letting him by the Holy Spirit to do more work and more changes in our lives. And I trust that if we have never even begun that relationship, if we sat in here and sung the songs and said, Oh, I'm good because I go to church, we realize today going to church ain't it. That the only way we enter into this is by faith in Jesus Christ, by acknowledging our need. Say, Lord. I am completely lost and I'm a hopeless sinner and I need you and I want you to come into my life to save me and to take me deep and heal me and transform me. Father, thank you for the, the, the joy of being in your word today. Lord, I know there are, I, I just know that people have some have been probed by what has been said here some perhaps even irritated by what has been said here. Some I'm frustrated because I didn't say it quite right, Lord. I didn't say, use all the right words. But Father, I believe your Holy Spirit wants to speak to each one of us, wants to impress upon each one of us our need for Jesus Christ and for allowing you to use your word by your Holy Spirit to change us into his image. And I pray that we will respond to that prompting, Father, whether it's for a new birth of salvation or just we've walked with Jesus or claimed him for 30 years, but we haven't really gotten much past that foundation. Minister to us, Father, we ask. Change us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.